Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. Uh, as you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, which is essentially Batman fan fiction. When people ask me what that story is about, I tell them it's Batman at age 11. We're going to be talking a lot about writing your uh, fanfic and my fanfic. I just changed the protagonist's name from Batman to Banneker Bones, so now you know my secrets and I made them at age 11. Um, if you're curious about that, there are three books available. Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees kicks off the trilogy. You can get that as an audiobook, a paperback, and the ebook is free. Free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. So get yourself a copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. When you're hooked on the series, come see me with money for books two and three. Uh, under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I write novels for older readers, such as my young adult novel, All Together Now, A Zombie Story, Walking Dead fan fiction, and I'll prove it. The thing that causes the uh, zombie apocalypse is Kirkman's Soda, which if you're a Walking Dead fan, uh, you know that's uh, based on Robert Kirkman. Uh, there's a Dr. Romero late in the book. The characters' names are Ricky and Michelle. I'm really not trying to hide my, my, my fandom. <laughs> and then, of course, I've got the Book of David, which is Stephen King fan fiction. That's a five-volume serial horror novel. Uh, if you're curious about that, the Book of David, Chapter 1 by Robert Kent, is free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. So check that out. Come back and see me with money for volumes 2, 3, 4, and 5. You've got aliens. You've got religion. You've got me doing my best Stephen King impersonation. It's a good time. Uh, and as always, for what's going on with the show, what's going on with me, what's going on with everything that is good in this world, go to middlegradeninja.com. That is more than enough. we got to get started. We've got an incredible guest this evening. We're going to talk Spider-Man and Star Wars, just all my favorite things. Our guest tonight uh, is uh, Preeti Ashimur. Um, and I know I said it wrong. You're I'm so close. <laughs> Off to a bad start. So. <laughs> it's fine. My whole life, I've it's that uh, very slight beat of hesitation before saying the name out loud, with which I am so familiar. <laughs> what kills me is I've uh, I've been listening to you on and off all week because you've got you've been on multiple podcasts. I was saying before we got started here. Uh, that I think our, our our roles are reversed. You should be hosting the podcast, and I should be a guest. You've, <laughs> you've done what? You did old comics. You've got the Desi Girls, uh, Desi Geek Girls. How many podcasts uh, have you hosted or co-hosted? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> I think six. If we're going through all of my history, uh, old comics, which I did with uh, a very very dear friend, Paul Montgomery, uh, Book Regis which was just like a bunch of us nerding out about books. Basic geek girls, of course, strong female characters. Um, the Spectacular Spider cast, which is currently running with my buddy Alex Segura. It's, I, I just enjoy it. It's basically, anytime I can be like, can I just hang out with my friends and feel productive about doing it? I'm all in. Yeah, we're not just sitting around talking about our love of Spider-Man and Star Wars. God, yes. no, we are promoting things exactly. <laughs> We're still being productive it's great we are promoting fantastic things i'll just do this right up the front avengers assembly orientation which just released august 4th 
Uh, we're promoting things like Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Stories of Light and Dark, which comes out at the end of this month, August 25th, or depending on when you're listening to this, is already available. You could be enjoying it now. Uh, and then what, October 20th, A Jedi You Will Be, which might be my favorite title for a picture book ever. It's really cute. Mike D's art in A Jedi You Will Be, which is a, a picture book for like, you know, little kids. Um going through Yoda teaching Luke how to be a Jedi, but also teaching the reader how to be a Jedi. Uh, and Mike D's illustrations are just some of the best versions of Yoda I think I've ever seen. Like the, the I've he's my uh, phone background right now, one of Mike's like illustrations. It's so cute. I don't know if you can see it because it's blurry, but it's yep. the cutest. <laughs> I love it so much. I am excited if there are any publicists listening. I'm assuming they all are. Send me an arc. <laughs> I don't know if I'll review it, but I'll definitely enjoy it. <laughs> uh, so briefly, if uh, you wouldn't mind, probably the I always ask uh, our guests to uh, start by introducing themselves to esteemed audience. Give kind of an overview of your background. That way you don't have to sit through me fumbling through it. Sure. Uh, so my name is Preeti Tripper. Um, I am a huge, huge nerd. And have somehow parlayed that into writing about some of my favorite characters from Spider-Man to Ms. Marvel to Anakin. Um, and just kind of being, uh, you know, I worked in children's publishing for a really long time. I worked at Scholastic, basically my 20s and 30s, like the early part of my 30s. And then I quit my job to write full time just a little over a year ago um, because I just... I was like, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Uh, and I also... Fortuitous timing. Uh, I, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, it's like, cool. Decide to leave and then the world falls apart. <laughs> um, uh, but also, I like, you know, we joked about earlier, I podcast a lot. I, I do uh, geek culture writing uh, online for sci-fi.com. And I've written for like Polygon and um, Book Riot and a bunch of other, other sites. Basically, I... I grew up on the internet talking about stuff I loved, and then I wanted to do that for a living. And now that's what I do. Leading a charmed life. We're going to get to... I've, I've seen footage of you interviewing the Spider-Man Far From Home. Cat. I ate my heart out in jealousy. Oh, my God, that looks like the most fun thing you could ever do. Well, well you know what? Let's start there. Was it a fun thing to do, or were, were you uh, your heart in your throat, and that it's a fun thing to have remembered having done? Is one of the most stressful experiences of my life because you know I do like for uh, geek culture stuff. I do a lot of like commentary and like that side of things. I don't do straight interviews as frequently, except during conventions, which is like a whole different ballgame because everybody's kind of like. We've been here for a million years and we're never going to leave this convention. We're all in it together. Um, a, a a junket is a very, very different experience. I was in, they flew us into London, which was amazing. But you're in London for like 48 hours and it's like packed schedule. And you're just, and these poor, poor cast members are sitting in a room just talking to people five minutes at a time for like nine hours a day. And it's. So it's like this wild experience where it's still also like really cool because um, also I wrote a book associated with the movie, which is part of the reason I got to go do it. Uh, I wrote a tie-in novel to Spider-Man Far From Home called Peter and Ned's Ultimate Travel Journal, which is the coolest thing I've ever done because Spider-Man is hands down probably my favorite character of all time. 
and so they send you over and I was like kind of doing double duty both as an author and and as the interviewer and uh, it was just really fun. Like everyone was really nice. I had interviewed Jacob Battleon at Comic-Con a year earlier or year and year and a half earlier, 2017, maybe. Um, and he remembered me because he's the nicest person ever. So that was really nice. I don't know if he remembered me or my glasses, but he remembered something. Take then, it, whatever it is. I know, right? He was like, hey, I know you. And I was like, do you? Are we friends? Because <laughs> I'm telling everyone we are friends. <laughs> Uh, I was actually way more stressed out, you know, uh, meeting the cast, the main cast was super exciting, of course, because they're all amazing. But I was super stressed out about meeting Jake Gyllenhaal and Samuel L. Jackson. Like, I watched Donnie Darko, I think, three times in a row when I turned 18. I like was like, this is the most, this is like the deepest movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, And so I was really, really freaking out about having to sit across from Jake Gyllenhaal and be coherent and like be a person who can speak sentences. But you have like crush feelings for him or just fan feelings about Donnie Darko? He's uh I, I mean it's it's funny because it's it's one of those things like you don't expect to like if I had told my 18-year-old self that, you know, in however many years you're gonna be interviewing this person as part of your professional life, I think she would have fainted. So I was like very nervous because of that association, that very strange kind of like, I knew you, like I was excited about you when I was young and, and it was like a formative moment. Um, and that's hard to contend with sometimes as an adult in this space where you have to be able to like speak to people that you have all these like kind of feelings for in terms of your nostalgia and like, part of who you are and how you became the person you are because you know now as an adult you watch Donnie Darko and you're like there's a lot happening in that movie (laughs) a lot of (laughs) a lot of choices were made narratively that you're you know (laughs) sure um but as a kid you're like oh this is the coolest thing I've ever seen and it's going to inform the artistic choices I make for probably quite a few years so that was just a really interesting place to be in. Um, I did well, make him laugh. Uh, Mad World over every That's video you made. Very cool. <laughs> uh, I'll put on my like drive-through records T-shirt and just be sad. Uh, no, I did. Get, I did make him laugh once during the interview, which was like a very big deal for me. Uh, and Samuel L. Jackson also was like super, super cool and super nice. But I embarrassed myself at the end, which was a good story. It's very charming, but at the time I was so mortified. I like thank them for the interview. And then I stood up and I hit my head on the boom mic. (laughs) And Jake leaned forward. He was like, Oh, and I apologized by saying, sorry, first junket as if that was a reason for me to lose (laughs) my like bearings. And he laughed so hard. He bent over in his chair and I like ran out of the room. (laughs) (laughs) That was your first ever junket with the Spider-Man cast. Yep. First ever junket. You didn't like warm up with some indie movie or <laughs> first junket? Very and I was like messaging all the like freelance friends I have to be like, Are you going? Are you going? Are you going? And everyone's like, I'm not going. So I didn't even know anyone else who was gonna be there. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so cool. It was really it was a fun experience. It is like literally you sit outside, the publicist is like, you have two minutes, go in. And then there's someone sitting in the corner like, go, 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 like twirling their finger at you to be like, 
get your questions out. Okay, wrap it up. And you're like, I got, oh my God. <laughs> okay, so there's not really a lot of time to be like, Samuel Jackson, Unbreakable changed my life. Let me tell you. No, 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 no. <laughs> he knows. You literally, I think you had like four minutes with each, with like all the teams. So you had like four minutes and then four minutes. And you're kind of like, when I walked in to Jake and Samuel Jackson, <laughs> like, I mean, Jake, like, we're friends. <laughs> <What'd> with... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> when I walked in, uh, Samuel Jackson was like, whoa, let me let me look at your tattoos. And I was like, what? And then the publicist was like, you got to ask your questions. <laughs> <laughs> so did you walk in there with all the questions carefully prepared and memorized for just such a... Uh, I, had, I had cards. I had, uh, yeah, I had cards, which I was like, I, I was very thoughtful about it. I'm also like a nerd. So I was like, I got to do my homework. I got to have good questions. They've been doing this for hours. I don't want them to think I'm basic. (laughs) Fair enough. And then of course you get to meet Spider-Man himself, which I assume because you've written the literal, the, the, the the book to go with the movie that Tom Holland must be your favorite Spider-Man or would I be incorrect in that assumption? He's, I thought he was great. I, I really like his iteration of, of Peter Parker a lot. I think it's very funny because my favorite Spider-Man is actually like the, the PS4 Spider-Man game, I think has hands down my favorite version of Spider-Man that exists in media outside comics, because my favorite is the kind of like mid twenties, like doesn't have his crap together, like makes a lot of bad decisions. That's my favorite Peter Parker because I find him to be someone that I can identify with very heavily. But that said, Tom Holland, I think, is just such a sweet, sweet Peter Parker. Like the the he's not he's kind of the straight man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I think is very funny because because Spidey is such like a quip master. And it was something they kept telling me in my edits for the book where they were like, no, he is. This is not that Peter. Like, you have to remember which Peter you're writing. And I'm like, oh, right. Um, but I thought Tom Holland was great. And he was, of course, like, he's such a baby. And I'm a grown adult. So, like, I walked in and he was using the restroom when I came into the room. And he comes out of the restroom and he, like, shakes my hand. I was like, hi, I'm Tom. <laughs> I was like, ah. <laughs> So who yeah. was, uh, who was, where, where, how far back do you go with, Spider-Man. When when did Spider-Man take over your life and become your your number one favorite uh, fan character? It's hard because I've been I've, I've been I think for a lot of women probably had this experience where comics didn't always feel like the most welcoming space. So when I was very little, I loved Spider-Man. I loved the cartoon. I had an older brother, um, and so I had the, I would like play with his figurines and that kind of thing. And then when you get a little bit older, you start to realize that. The comic book stores might not always be the most accessible spaces, but that was where you had to buy your comics. And so there was a disconnect. So I actually came, I walked away because I found it to be a little intimidating. Um, And then I came back to it uh, as an adult, like probably in my mid-20s or so, early to mid-20s, because of O-Comics, actually. And because uh, Marvel created their Marvel Unlimited app, uh, which made it so easy to read everything. Like, I think I read the entirety of Ultimate Spider-Man in, like, three weeks. That sounds like a great three weeks. It was a wonderful three weeks. I cried a lot. 
<laughs> the stories do get emotional. <laughs> Especially in the ultimate line. Mm-hmm. So, well, you mentioned I I I firmly remember um uh old enough I'm 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 old enough to remember when uh um geek culture wasn't mainstream and you literally were ostracized for loving the thing that now everyone loves. Um, there's, 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 there's no shame in saying I like Star Wars. Like, yeah, of course you're part of the United okay. States, right? Ever, we all like that. Was there ever a time when that was, when that was not cool? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my family are all nerds. Like I, people, I've, I've done a lot of like, you know, interviews and podcasts now about Star Wars because of the, um, books. And the question always comes up of like, when, when, what's your earliest memory of Star Wars? Like, what's the... What do you do you remember how it felt watching the movies? And I'm always like, no, like I don't I don't have a recollection of watching the movies for the first time because I I've just always it's always been there. Like I wish I could remember learning like what it felt like to see the, you know, the reveal of Vader and Luke, but it's just like always been in my life. It's always been a part of it. So I can't even disconnect the two. Um and I also, I went to a nerd school, like I went to a magnet program when I was in high school, so I already wasn't cool. So <laughs> it was like, okay, <laughs> like the things you like, because you're already never going to be the like really cool popular person. <laughs> Would you feel like um, comic culture is getting, obviously there's a long way to go. We've all read stories of toxic fandom uh, and some of the the terrible things that happens online, but uh, People online are just, in general, terrible. <laughs> Do you find that, um, that comic culture and geek culture is becoming more welcoming? Uh, it's that's that's a it's a tough question because I think that there is a desire for it to be more inclusive, and you can see it in in the very very small way in which um, we're getting new perspectives writing these stories. Uh, and I say small because it is, you know, you look at who is allowed to write the stories and it is still very much like, oh, you're a Pulitzer Prize winner. Here, you can write Black Panther. You know, it's like the the barrier to entry is still pretty high. But I do think that because of the Internet, we've allowed pockets of very welcoming and very inclusive fandoms to exist, which is really awesome. Like you can find people like you who like the things you do uh, instead of having to be in a situation where you feel like you're the isolated person. So like I can find Daisy Geek Girls is a perfect example. It started because me and my friend Swapna Krishna were both super into Star Wars. Like that's kind of how our friendship started was being like kind of embarrassingly into Star Wars and like looking at the Force Awakens trailer frame by frame trying to figure out like whose hand was holding the lightsaber. And we were like, man, I wish there was more space for like South Asian women in geekdom and what that looks like. And so we started Daisy Geek Girls and there are a ton of us. There's so many of us. It's just like having the access to those spaces and, and the Internet has allowed for that, which I think is amazing. Well, we uh, I mean, we, we, we started with. Uh... The, uh, we know we know we know how the story ends with you shaking Tom Holland's hand right after he comes out of the bathroom. So take Which presumably he your... wipes his hands. <laughs> <laughs> so take us back to your your master plan to get into children's publishing, and from there, 
eventually meet Tom. <laughs> and it, it, it started when I was four. No, no, no. <laughs> um, it's funny. I, you know, I'm a, a child of immigrants and first gen born here. And it was very much assumed that I was going to be a doctor. You know, I have an older brother, a younger sister. And it was like doctor, lawyer, engineer. That's what's coming out of the family. Did not work out for any of us. <laughs> my older brother's an actor. My little sister's a graphic designer. <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> but so it wasn't until I got to undergrad in college and started, you know, I've always been a reader. I've always been much, much better on that. So I'm terrible at math and science. And I remember talking to my brother who had already at that point been like, no, I want to be an actor. Like, I'm not going to go this route. And he was like, why are you pre-med? <laughs> why are you taking these classes that you hate when what you're good at is reading and writing? Like, that's what you love. And uh, he kind of, he met somebody who worked in publishing. He met someone who worked at Tor, which is a sci-fi imprint of Macmillan. And I had a conversation with her and she was like, you should come intern. So I did an interview and I interned at Tor Publishing one summer when I was an undergrad and it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. And it kind of was like, Oh, this is what I want to do. I want to be involved in the world of books. Uh, and then children's publishing was a little bit of an accident. I actually met someone when I moved to New York who worked in publishing and she was like, don't go into children's. It's a, it's a hole. Once you fall into it, you'll never get out. <laughs> <laughs> but I interviewed at Scholastic when I was like 24. Four, I think and I got the job and I was like this is the coolest thing ever like I work you know in a building where the babysitters club was published like that is so so cool and it's cool getting to like access these books that can be formative for children and be you know do for them what books did for me when I was a kid which is like create a lifelong love of reading and uh and then I did that for a long time it was very cool uh but of course, as we know, New York City is very expensive to live in. And so I got some side hustles writing geek culture stuff on the side. And one of those eventually was um, sci-fi.com writing for sci-fi fangirls. And uh, I had an editor who was super into just kind of the wacky stuff I pitched. So things like... I think I have an article that's called things that are the same size as Tom Holland. Cause I thought it was really funny that Tom Holland and Mark Ruffalo came out on stage and were the same size. Cause I just wouldn't have anticipated that. And she was like, sure, write this weird post. And so uh, somebody gave my name to an editor at Disney. And when they emailed me about potentially writing the Spider-Man book, I was able to send them back these absurd kind of silly, funny posts I'd written for sci-fi and they liked the voice a lot. And that's how I got the job. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That worked out. <laughs> it was like every step taken closer and closer to get to Spidey. <laughs> so when you get that job and you know you're going to write the Spidey book, how do you celebrate something that huge? Uh, I didn't. I actually spent like two full days being like, I can't do this. Who am I to write Spider-Man? What? What? And again, my friend Slapna was like, Who, you have to say yes to this. You cannot say no just because you think you can't do it. Um, and then it was, it all happened during New York Comic Con, actually. Like, I had a call with the editor. I was like freelance working during, it was very stressful. And then they were like, okay, we're going to need a book in like six weeks. So I didn't really celebrate until everything was over and the final draft was in. <laughs> and like, <laughs> Fair it, was enough. Awesome. it was awesome. But it was also like, 
running around like just stressing all the time but also being like i'm writing a spider-man book and i'm not allowed to tell anybody (laughs) (laughs) so when you're when you're writing spider-man i mean are you playing the the movie soundtracks or do you have a a playlist that's just for (laughs) the mad envisioning swinging around or i I have my standard movie soundtracks that i listen to when i'm i'm writing which are a lot of like googling like the how to train your dragon soundtrack ambient (laughs) So it's like all these like really like pretty ambient soundtracks, which is what I need. But it was it was a wild experience because I had to read the script for the movie, a version of the script. Um, so they brought me into the Marvel offices in New York City, and it was the most hilarious experience because they were like put me in a room, like four pieces of paper and a laptop, and we're like, okay, you have two hours with the script, take as many notes as you can, and that's what you're gonna use. We're gonna scan them and send them back to you. <laughs> and it was just a version of the script like I didn't even read the finished version they didn't tell anybody anything so I was writing the book based off a version of the script that was then changed or different by the time the movie came out I mean the villain was still the vulture right so or, I'm sorry no it was would have been, uh, <laughs> I'm terrible I, I, I confused my Spider-Mans <laughs> very very good villains well, that's the the one that if I if I were in that spot where I did a junket, if I met Jake Gyllenhaal, I'd be like, oh my god, Brokeback Mountain, I love it so much, and then that would be great. But if it was Michael Keaton, oh my god, my my entire persona of, of what it is to be a man, a Batman from young childhood on, I Michael Keaton to sink into the the seat, never to return. <laughs> All he would have to do is like raise his eyebrows at me, and I would be like, you're the coolest person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> He'd be like, hey, nice question. I'd say, Michael Keaton said I'm the most amazing writer that ever lived. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's uh, been one rough thing about um, uh, quarantine for COVID. And there's been so many rough things. Like, you know, my beloved Wonder Woman 1984 that I was looking forward to all year has been moved back. And I, I can't come out soon enough. Um, but I keep reading news, movie news, that I'm so excited about. I'm like, but is it real, though? Is it, is it really going to happen? So I want Michael Keaton to come back as Batman in the Flashpoint uh, paradox. That that would be the most amazing thing that could ever happen. No, but when's it gonna happen though? Are they gonna shoot it two years? Twenty twenty is a wash, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the year that never was. So okay, we were talking about your experience in children's uh, publishing. So you're an editor and acquired. Uh, well, uh, no, I worked for the Scholastic Book Clubs, actually. So I worked in, uh, I mean, I worked kind of in a few different areas during my tenure there, but eventually I was choosing the young adult novels that we sold into the book clubs. Okay, very cool. Mm-hmm. A big responsibility, too. You're, you're shaping young minds. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's very, it was, it was exciting. It was really cool. It was like getting to make sure that they're getting varied perspectives and diverse voices and, you know. It was it was a really cool job. Obviously, um, beyond that, um, you've got all kinds of opportunities open to you. You could freelance uh, anywhere, I imagine. Uh, who wouldn't be thrilled to have you at this point? Uh, they, You're say, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you never know. <laughs> the author of a Jedi, you will be done. You're in. You can write for Home and Gardens. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you've got that option open to you. I assume you're going to host three more podcasts by the time this episode comes out. 
Um, but what what gave you the confidence that now was the time for me to go and, and be a full-time writer? Uh, well, so I was still working full-time when I did uh, Spider-Man and when I did, right? Wasn't I? Yes. <laughs> like, what year is it? When did this book come out? Yeah, when I, I was still working full-time when I wrote the book, but actually getting that book deal was kind of what spurred my decision because I was like, I really like the act of writing. I I enjoy getting to sit down and just put words on the page. Uh, and I was freelancing enough at the time that I was like, I could probably increase this level because I'd been freelancing and working full time for probably like eight years prior to that. So like really building a resume, building a portfolio, like spent a lot of time kind of side hustling uh, and and doing the full time gig. Um, and it just felt like the right time to do it because I was like, it's, it just, it, it just felt like a tipping point. Like I was like, if I want to do this, I feel like I have to really commit to it. Um, I didn't have an agent at the time. I like was like just kind of scrambling, like I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and then I put the word out because I also built a lot of connections over that time. I went to a lot of, you know, I worked a lot of um, conventions before Scholastic and for my freelance life, and so met a lot of people and maintained all those connections. And that was that was part of it too. So it was just. I spent basically a decade building to get to that point <laughs> and then was like, okay, I feel like now I can do it. <laughs> well, sure. It didn't take you long to find an agent. <laughs> My agent will laugh. Cause I, I basically, what happened was I, I was like, I'm not going to try to get an agent until I finish this like book I want to write. And then uh, my editor at Scholastic, Michael Patronek approached me. I was like, we have this potential idea for a Kamala Khan book, would you be interested? And then I was like, I don't know how to do anything, and now I need an agent. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kamala Khan, that should be right up your alley. That's your yeah. Avengers. That's your playground. All the uh, Marvel stories, right? In fact, mm -hmm. I, well, you know, we can get right there because that's a book that uh, just came out. is available now. Uh, Avengers Assembly orientation. My question when I saw Miles Morales is there too. Like, how does that not from the Ultimate Spider-Man just be Ultimate Spider-Man fan just become the Miles Morales store? Miles Morales and Friends, a novel. <laughs> well, so part of it is that you know I, I Peter Parker is my favorite because uh, I always really identified with him and his kind of bad luck you know his life of like being a hero despite all of the awful things that happened to him and like working beyond this terribleness and I identifying with him on that level but I never had anyone who looked like me or who had a similar upbringing or who had all these things that are intrinsic to who I am until Kamala Khan really like came out until G Willow Wilson, Sana Amanat and uh, Adrian Alfona released that first volume um, and that first issue of Ms. Marvel. And it was like, I, I I was an adult and I was like, I would have lost my mind to have this as a kid. Like I would have given anything to have this kind of superhero who was going through. And she really is like the Peter Parker of a new generation, you know. She's balancing school and being a hero. She's trying to figure out what it means to grow up, but also like what it means to be good. Like it's it's all of these different things that are what I love about Spider-Man, but in parent immigrant who is South Asian, who has all these things that I find so familiar. So it was 
it was like a dream come true getting to write this character because I've never connected so deeply to a character before on multiple levels. So do you feel like um, not not a sense of ownership, but maybe like a sense of extra kinship now that you've written that character where you could maybe go on and write book after book? Also, will you be writing book after book? Uh, 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 <laughs> um, it's it's more that I'm I'm glad I got to spend time with her in this kind of book, which is like a really fun middle grade like adventure story you know it's it's heavily illustrated with illustrations by James Lancet which are so cute and funny um a lot of comic stuff but it's it's very much about this girl dealing with a friendship I don't know that there there's I want other writers to get a chance with her because there's so few characters like this and there's so many amazing South Asian writers Muslim writers like who should all get a chance to connect with this character in the way that I got to well, that's a very, very generous answer. <laughs> so good for you taking that. And me, I, I would be petty and jealous forever. Like, no, it's fine. <laughs> I, I have, that's because I have so many other books I want to write. I'm like, let me let me write my YA Luke Skywalker novel. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Fair enough. <laughs> Oh, there's not enough time to, to do all the, the nerdy projects. I know. <laughs> I said yes. I have so much stuff coming out this year because I last year I panicked pretty heavily about about work and said yes to everything. <laughs> well, all the right things. Yes. Uh, I, of the three we've talked about, maybe there's a fourth I don't know about that's just terrible, but these three sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with the uh, when you mentioned uh, your illustrator, mm-hmm. um, uh, James Lancet. Um, so when so much of the story is going to be told in those comic panels and through illustrations, how does that collaboration work to make sure that you're, I don't know, was vibing the appropriate term here for creating <laughs> this creative project? IP is a little different because, you know, you don't have a ton of control because you are playing in someone else's sandbox, basically. So um, James and I didn't collaborate directly. Basically, like I worked with my editor and then he worked with the editor and they did it that way. He's in he's in England, I think. Like we've never met or anything. Everything has been virtual. Um, But so... I wrote the script and I would write out like how I thought the illustrations would would like could look. And I'm sure he was like, you, you don't know how illustrations work. Like I'm okay. But, <laughs> but so I would write out like, you know, a comic script essentially. Um, and then when I, I would, I got to see passes and got to see art and all of those things. And, and it was, it was kind of like that. It was like me, editor, James, editor, me. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. So ultimately, the editor's got final say on all of that. Oh, so uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and I, when you when you approach a project like that, is there a pretty strict? I mean, how how much do you have other than? I mean, are you are you responsible for all continuity for those characters up to that point? I assume not, since we're joining her a little younger in the story. <laughs> no, uh, it is funny though. I mean, they obviously there are certain truths about Kamala Khan and and Miles and um, Doreen that exist, and there's certain like everybody like Marvel hundred percent sees it reads it like signs off on everything because you don't want to be in a position of contradicting somebody else's work or 
there's this book called Marvel, the untold story, which is like one of my favorite reads of all time. And it's the history of Marvel comics. And it is fascinating, but they talk about prior to like when the digital age, when they were talking about continuity and they would have this room that was just like a whole bunch of file folders and you would, you know, go through when you were writing like Spider-Man say, and you would have to be like, okay, Spider-Man, can I bring Spider-Man into my book right now? Or is he in like the negative zone? And they would have updated every week to make sure that you knew where every character was so that you weren't contradicting somebody else's work. Oh, wow. I know because the world is so big. The, the Marvel universe is so big and they had so much interaction between the characters. So they really had to keep it straight. Okay, so you can't just, uh, and now Hulk shows up just because I like nope. it. <laughs> I could be like, I would have lists. I'd be like, could I really, I, I want this person in it. And they would be like, yes or no. And, you know, for their whatever reason. So I would have, you know, backup plan on backup plan on backup plan, basically. <laughs> so, I mean, do you have to, since you're getting that approved up front, then how is this working? Are you writing an outline that goes gets that approval mm -hmm. what's the, what's the process for writing an Avengers book uh for this one uh, I can't speak to all of them but for this one it was uh outlining chapter by chapter then that would go out for approval I would make edits based on whatever comments once that was approved then I could start writing um write a draft send it in get comments get it back <laughs> make edits send it back and so it's kind of like it's kind of like homework all the time. Be, being a writer is doing homework all the time, but like for the fun class. Yeah, like the world's best homework. <laughs> a lot of my homework in, in school ever was like, write a story about your favorite superhero. I'd ace that homework. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then um, with, uh, with the Avengers, I had, uh, I had a couple of questions for you. And of course, they've gone all right out of my head. Um, but I did want to know how much um, additional research did you have to do? Uh, or did you already have it all up here just from years of fandom? No, I'm not a person who it doesn't stick in my head. Like, I know there are people who are really good at being like in issue 17 in 1972. Da, 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 da. Like, I, I'm not that person. I can have read a comic book seven times and I still will be like, what issue was that? Like, I can't tell you how many times I've looked up the issue where, um, of, I don't even, I think it's Spectacular Spider-Man, where uh, Felicia Black Cat is horrified that she sees Peter Parker's face for the first time. Like, it's one of my favorite storylines. It's one of my favorite issues. And still, every time I want to reference it, I have to Google it to to remember what issue it's in. Like, I cannot remember that stuff. So I did a lot of reading. I reread, like, all of Ms. Marvel. Uh, I reread a ton of um, Ultimate for Miles. And I reread a ton of Squirrel Girl, the Ryan North and Erica Henderson, which is one of the best comics that exists. It's so, so funny. Um, so a lot of a lot of research, but fun research again. <laughs> so if Marvel comes to you and they say, uh, we're throwing out all continuity, don't even worry about it. We're going to we're going to create the U universe from now on. Uh, you could have any any combination of characters in any genre oh of story. Uh, There's a lot of pressure on one question. Yep. 
So we'll just say it's not definitive. You would probably come up with a different idea tomorrow. But for tonight, while we're chatting, what what would you what would you do if you had total free reign? Oh my god. I mean, it's hard because my characters, I my favorite characters, I don't know would work that super fun in a story together. Because like my favorite characters from Marvel are like Spider Man, Ms. Marvel, Nightcrawler, Gambit. Like I'm I in. don't That's great. know how well that dynamic would work. I feel like it would be like part chaos, part like super forlorn. Like Nightcrawler kind of bringing it down a little bit every so often. Um, Oh, that's such a hard question. Because I think one of my favorite uh, comics of the recent era is um, Loki, Agent of Asgard from Al Ewing. And of course, the artist's name is escaping me even though I think he's amazing um but what I really like about what they did was playing with the very idea of narrative and the very idea of story and how it's how that works in a universe like comics where everything is so broad and gets reset so frequently and and how nothing lasts forever except certain truths unless it's like way far AUs um I think that would be really fun to play with someone who's had a very long history in comics like Nightcrawler who's had a very very long history in Marvel and what his story actually means and what it means for him to be a character in a universe like that I think could be really cool and have you got a villain or villains that you'd want to use I would say a new villain I would want I want I would want someone new hmm but I'm going to hold that close to my chest because, you know, maybe I'll get to write them someday. <laughs> <laughs> and if Marvel says no, it's a new character, it could be, <laughs> that could be just a you thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Teleportation. Good choice. <laughs> Easy. But long distance. Like, not like any of this, like, you can only go 10 feet nonsense. Like, I want to be able to go anywhere. Like off planet, document style. Like no rules. I can teleport anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like to the start of my life. So I'm also working in backdoor lives forever. That's just teleport <laughs> back to the start That's of your time. Life. No time travel is stressful. I'm no 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 no. Only only no time travel. <laughs> Fair enough. I've opened up all sorts of continuity issues for you. <laughs> Ah, well, we've talked enough nerd stuff. It's time we moved on to Star Wars. <laughs> hard, hard pivot. <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk about Star Wars, the Clone Wars stories of light and dark, the anthology that will be available at the end of this month, August 25th. Um, if you would just give a uh, esteemed audience kind of an overview of, of that anthology and what we can look forward to. Sure. So it's an anthology of uh, retellings of Clone Wars episodes by a bunch of incredible authors like Anne Ursu or Zoraida Cordova. There are, the, the list is very long. Um, I've read Zoraida's Ventress story and it is so good. Uh, but it's basically all of us taking like doing like basically taking on specific episodes of the Clone Wars and retelling those stories from whatever perspectives we want to. Okay, wow. I am uh, going to reveal uh, a, a lack in my, my nerddom. I watched my first episode, first two episodes of Clone Wars this week. 
uh, in preparation and talking with you because I read uh, I read your story first uh, and I was like I, I just imagined Hayden Christensen the whole time that's like, yeah, fine that uh, then I'm like, hey, you know what do do your basic research I was blown away but why didn't anyone tell me that this show existed <laughs> which of course the whole world right. would be telling me. I was just oh, a, an adult and 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 had too much other stuff to to to, to get to it and now I've got so it all I look forward. <laughs> Well, we've got our Disney Plus. I've got a six-year-old that watches Hamilton every two hours, um, um, nonstop <laughs> on loop. That's Perfect. we had to sign up for Disney Plus, and so now I've got all the the Clone Wars to look forward to, and I, I very much enjoyed the the first two episodes. So I I assume that everything in your your story was a uh, hostage crisis. Yeah, the hostage cri- or hostage crisis, which is uh, the end of the first season. Though the Clone Wars is a non-linear storytelling uh, for the first several seasons, so well, most of my questions about why did you do this this way are are, are now useless to me because the answer is <laughs> it's a retelling. Uh, although I felt like, and 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 this is going to show my interest that it fit in nicely with um, Attack of the Clones. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I just assume this is somewhere in that timeline, but uh, off just a little bit, right? It's so they did ask us like when when I was approached to do it, it was like, who do you want to write? And I was like, Anakin. He is my absolute favorite disaster angst Jedi. I love him so much, even though he's such a disaster. There's a running theme with my favorite characters, if you can't tell. Um, And then they're like, what do you want to write? And I wanted to write a Padme and Anakin story because I find their romance, in Clone Wars specifically, I think builds the romance really, really well between them. Um, And in all of its tragedy and sadness. And so I wanted to do one that shows Anakin on the verge of becoming who he will be. But you can see how intensely he loves and how important that is to him and how easily that can go sideways when it takes up too much of you. See, I had the music experiences. I'm reading early on. No, we, we won't get into spoiler territory. But as I'm reading and he's saying, well, let's just go someplace where we can be in love. And I'm like, ah, I was that sort of irritating boyfriend at one point for like two weeks in high school. I've been that guy. And that, that's not a healthy person to be. And then I'm thinking, like, oh, wait a minute. What do I know about Anakin Skywalker? Not <laughs> entirely healthy. Okay, that no. adds to <laughs> My instincts are right, Padma. Get out of there. It won't end well. <laughs> oh, she loves her so much, and she loves him so much, and it's just, oh, it's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Did you cry while you were writing this one? No. <laughs> no, I watched the episode like 10 times. Uh, I read the script, and then I had to watch a few uh, other episodes like, I had to watch an, an episode that came before it, at, like, chronologically. Um, there's a set, there's a list on StarWars.com that has every single episode of The Clone Wars listed out in chronological order, if you wanted to do it that way. So you can see the character uh, evolution linear, uh, chronologically instead of how they show it to us. Because also, you don't know Ahsoka Tano that well yet, but Ahsoka Tano is hands down the best character in all of Star Wars. Like, all of it. She is Wasn't the best. She being played by Rosario Dawson and Mandalorian? I don't know if that's confirmed or not. I know that that was the rumor. I have no idea if it was ever actually confirmed. I mean, I would love to see a live-action Ahsoka, I think. I, I just want Ahsoka to get her own 
thing. Like, she is so awesome and has such potential for amazing story. Uh, E.K. Johnston wrote a novel about Ahsoka that is one of my favorite pieces of, like, other medium Star Wars um, storytelling. And her story just has so much in it that we don't know yet and that I want to know. I feel like that rumor's been around long enough. I've heard that in enough places that I assumed it was already a thing. So I, I think that even if they filmed something else, by the time the internet got to the boiling point of reaction, that they went back and reshot that stuff. She's Ahsoka now. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I'm like, gotta be careful because I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you... Uh, Obviously not uh, for the the Clone Wars that it, it's it's been out for a time. Even though I'm late in catching up to it, um, you don't have to go and and sit in a secret office and read never before seen screenplay. So that 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 pressure at least. Yeah, uh, no, that was that was nice. Um, that was nice not having to do that because I was like, oh, I've seen this episode a million times. It was before Disney Plus though, so I couldn't just like sign up for Disney Plus and watch it, I had to be like, I really need access to this episode. Thank you. <laughs> Did you not already own uh, box sets all around no, the home? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> because it was on Netflix for a long time. They had Netflix had the rights to play Clone Wars, and then they lost it either last year or year before, I think. And so um, when you're... Uh, one thing I noticed is that... Um, you're doing a lot in a very short amount of time. It's mm-hmm. it's not a. I don't. Do you remember what, offhand what the word count was for the, the final version? Sure, it's uh something like thirty five hundred. I feel like maybe somewhere around there, three like around three thousand to three thousand five hundred. I think I'd have to look at my word document, but I'm pretty sure it's somewhere in that arena. You don't walk around with the exact number memorized. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was working on another short story at the time for a um, anthology that's coming out from Penguin Random House called "Right Now" is titled "Storm St- <clears throat> Sword Stone Table," which is a retelling of Arthurian legends. Um, and so I'm going back and forth because that word count is like ten thousand words, and I just remember being like, oh, "I got to keep the." the way to tell stories straight in my head, whether it's short, short or long. <laughs> well, 10,000 words. Now that I've seen what you've done with the 35 or, or however many it was, uh, I expect you can get a whole trilogy. And <laughs> one thing I noticed you, you did, which, which made sense is there's not a whole lot of physical description of anybody, not an issue. Uh, why are you reading this book? If you don't know what the characters yep. look like. Right. I don't know why you would care about Anakin and Padme's story if you were not familiar with the Skywalker tragedy already. Star Wars, I've heard of this. I think I'll start with this anthology, and if I like it, maybe I'll watch a film. <laughs> uh, so you're saving, you're saving space there, but you're also, the action is moving and moving fast. So what tips do you have for Consala? How many drafts did it take to do that, to get it down that tight? Um, I think this is actually pretty pretty easy in terms of edits. Like I did my draft and I had some a few light edits when it came back to me. Um, writing action is not something I had done before, so that was kind of fun to learn. Like I remember trying to write action when in my fanfic days back back when I was like 
you know, in, in high school and college. And I always felt like, I don't know what I'm doing. And even here, uh, I still felt a little bit like, I don't know what I'm doing, but it was just trying to remember that you don't want to, you don't want the, you want the reader to feel the anxiety that Anakin is going through. Um, and so having those like very punchy moments, there's, uh, (laughs) there's another book, there's a book called, this is related, I swear. It's going to sound like it's not related, but it is. Uh, there's a book called Red or Dead by David Peace, which is this, like, very, very long book that is ostensibly about Bill Shankly's tenure as the Liverpool football club manager. I bring it up. Oh, that makes sense because... Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I bring it up because it's some of the best writing I've ever seen, but there's this uh, there's this passage where David Peace writes uh, a match. He's writing a football match that Liverpool is playing. And I remember reading the passage on sitting on the subway and I could feel my heart starting to race like I was watching an actual football match happening, like waiting for the goal to be scored. And I just found it to be so incredible like what you can do with language to initiate that visceral response and so trying to remember that while writing action sequences has been really important for me of like remembering that the cadence of a sentence can impact the way a reader reads and the way a reader uh reacts gotcha so can you think of some specific things you did to heighten the action as you were writing uh, I think, like, staccato sentences, like, making sure they're, like, very tight sentences. And like you said, that short word count was to kind of heighten that anxiety because you're going through it so quickly. In the same way that Anakin is going through it so quickly, you only have moments to get through this experience. And so that was one thing I did think about. And, well, here's kind of a dumb question. Maybe not, because it ties in the writing about uh, Spider-Man and, 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 and Kamala Khan and, and everybody as well. Um, how difficult is it when you're writing with a character that has powers? Because at one point, uh, well, I assume it's not that much of a spoiler since uh, fans will have seen the, the episode. Uh, Anakin is, is lightsaberless. And I was like, oh, my God, what's he going to do? And I was like, oh, right. He has force powers and all kinds of awesome stuff he can do before he gets to chopping folks up. So when you've got characters like that or like, uh, like, like a Spider-Man, um, how much extra trouble does that cause you in trying to figure out how to corner them? Because you can't just, uh, you know, you can't just be a guy with a gun. That's not, that's not a concern. <laughs> well, I think what's fun about writing superheroes and writing characters with powers is that you recognize, especially in all the storytelling we've gotten from them, that the powers don't fix anything. Having these powers are never the reason their lives are great. They're often the reason their lives are much, much harder uh, and so it's never the, the powers were never an issue in terms of like, oh, how will I make sure that they're in enough trouble or or whatever? Um, one thing that was sometimes difficult, you know, with like Kamala Khan was making sure the powers were consistent and that I was describing them and, and using them in a way that made sense for readers who had never read Kamala Khan before, but also for readers who were very familiar with her comics. So that was that was an interesting conundrum because so many different people writing a character, you always have to take into account that character's history, but how much of that history will be involved and how many of those, how much, how much do the rules matter when it's something like a middle grade novel that's for kids who might not be super familiar. Um, 
that was that was more something that I came up against than necessarily the powers making it more difficult to write the actual story. That makes sense. Uh, and then, um, well, same uh, question is, uh, as with the Marvel Universe, Disney says, um, uh, you did such a wonderful job with, uh, with your no-holds-barred uh, Avengers story. Now we're going to give you free reign of the Star Wars universe. You can bring back characters we thought were dead and undo previous trilogies, J.J. style, if you want. <laughs> you can do anything that you want to do with the Star Wars universe. Where are you setting your story? Who's going to be in it? I want a Luke Skywalker YA novel. I want, like, 15-year-old Luke. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, before before he uh, gets that message from R2-D2. Pre, pre A New uh, Hope. It's him on Tatooine. Like, I just love Luke Skywalker a lot. Like, I love Anakin, but, like, Luke is my, like, dopey farm boy of my heart. He tries so hard. He's just... And I think that's another one where it's, like, there's so much story to tell. Like, I I love Ahsoka, but I don't... I think I would have trouble telling Ahsoka's story. So uh, there are other writers I want to write Ahsoka um, but Luke, I would love to get my hands on Luke because he's just so sweet and like such a teen boy. Like that, like I was gonna go to the power converters. Like <laughs> I want to write that kid. <laughs> just hanging out with his power converters yes! and staring off at the multiple suns every day. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and I assume somewhere in there, you you have to tease his force or his force power. Sure. <laughs> Just like a, a moment where the glass disappears between him and the snake. Yeah. And oh my God. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I like it. I would, I would want to read your story. It's basically like a slice of life Luke Skywalker story. <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to bring, I mean, obviously you couldn't. Well, if it's, if he's 15, maybe he goes to whatever dance there is on, uh, what planet is he, he on the desert planet? T- tattooing? Tatooine, yes. Yeah. Uh, so he goes to the, they wouldn't call it the Tatooine prom, but whatever the prom <laughs> is for, for Luke Skywalker. And maybe Han Solo's there as somebody's date, and they don't really know each other that well, because you, you want to bring in somebody, right? <laughs> the other one that I'm fascinated by, and again, I don't know that I'm the person to write this, like I think there are other writers who could do it, is there's clearly like a time overlap where Leia and Cassian Andor were both working the rebellion at the same time. And I like desperately want that meeting. I want to see the two of them interact so badly. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but like, I really want it. <laughs> there was a uh, kind of announcement. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's been a hundred percent confirmed, but I keep reading that Donald Glover is going to do the Lando Calrissian TV show. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that tweet. I then I looked it up and I was like, I don't see any official sources saying this, so I didn't I left it alone. Um I don't know. I would love I loved Donald Glover as Lando. I would love to see him come back as Lando. I thought he seemed like he was having a great time and he just filled those sh- he filled that cape so nicely. It was great. <laughs> I the younger Obi-Wan uh story. Uh, it will be the depressing years between the... <laughs> I'll take you and McGregor back as Obi-Wan any day of the week, though. Is there a scenario in which those two could, uh, th- those series could cross over? I mean, the time, I know that there's like a narrow window where the time frame's got to be right, yeah? I don't know. 
they've done a really the the Lucasfilm story group has done a really really good job of like kind of finding pockets of time to tell stories. So like I have no idea. I would. I'm sure the the conversations are happening and they're figuring it out. Um, but like I I trust in them in terms of I I feel like. I was so wonderfully surprised by how great the Mandalorian was. Like, not that I didn't think it was going to be good, but I didn't know what to expect. And it was so good in the way that like Star Wars Rebels is one of the best Star Wars stories. I think that exists and it's not about any of our main heroes. It's not about, you know, it's about the wider world. And I think that's what Star Wars does really well. Um, So I totally trust for them to like, if there's a way to do it, that makes sense and doesn't feel like cheap, I think they would do it. Well, they're definitely going to now because they're listing and they're going to be sending yeah. notification right away. We heard your pitch and we love it. We want to do it. <laughs> 15 year old Lou Skywalker. That book's coming out next year. <laughs> Stop. Begging to do this book on every podcast you go on. <laughs> And they're going to say, Kent, we were going to offer you something, but we heard you hadn't watched The Clone Wars. Get out of here. <laughs> I watched all The Mandalorian, though, as teamed audience. I promise. Loved it. <laughs> so, well, you know what? Well, let's talk a little bit about Comic-Con. So, what is the experience of going to San Diego and New York Comic-Con the first time and getting up there and, and, and addressing your people? <laughs> It's wild. I'm trying to remember the first time I was on a panel at New York Comic Con. Um, God, I genuinely like cannot remember now because I've been I my first New York Comic Con was 2008, I think, because I moved to New York the summer of 2007, and I think the first time I went to New York Comic Con was 2008. And I I don't know if I'm making this up, but I feel like it was when it was in like February or something. Um, so I've been going to a comic con for a very, very long time. Um, my first San Diego was 2018 and it was so different from New York. It was so like, I was so stressed out the whole time because New York comic con is very localized. It is at the Javits center. It's spilled over a little bit now into like another building. Um, but for the most part, it stays at the Javits center. It doesn't go anywhere else. San Diego Comic-Con is, like, the entire thing. It's, like, every part of San Diego that you're in is touched by Comic-Con, and I found that to be, like, so overwhelming. Um, But it's also really cool when you're just, like, oh, everyone here is as, like, nerdy as I am. Like, that's awesome. And it's cool when you, like, are on a panel that is something you're passionate about. So I've been on the Super Asian American panel a couple of times, which is largely talking about Asian American representation in pop culture. Um, And what's great is when those rooms are packed because people care about wanting to have more inclusive uh, media is kind of some of the best feelings in the world when you're like, oh, people do care. It's not like four people sitting in this room waiting for the panel that comes after it. Well, you've got to be, I mean, any panel you do there, you've got to be facing a full room full of how many people? It depends on what room you're in. Sometimes it's 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 always a lot because they pack those rooms in pretty tight. Um, but it's so funny because I can remember going to see Neil Gaiman read from uh, the Graveyard Book in 2008 or nine. I don't remember which year it was. Um, and there was like no line. Like I got 
I was in like the third row or something. It was like so easy to get into that room. And I think about what that would be like now and like having to line up like three or four hours in advance or like whatever it was um, because there are just so many more people going. Like, I think if you look at the attendee numbers have risen like exponentially every year, it's wild. So like, I guess just by nature of the number of people, yeah, every panel is probably pretty full. Fair enough. <laughs> um, well, here's some uh, random fan questions uh, to, to give you an opportunity to get in trouble. <laughs> um, we'll start easy. What's a uh, favorite fandom of yours that's not Star Wars, not Spider-Man, that maybe people wouldn't expect uh, is a favorite fandom of yours? I um, I love being a fan of things. Like I, When I get into a fandom, I get in deep, and sometimes it'll last a long time, and sometimes it'll be like, man, I'm super into like the Norwegian teen drama scum for six months. Um, but one that has been very, very long lasting is my love of Naruto. Oh, yeah? I love Naruto. I've loved Naruto since I was like 20 years old. Read the manga, read scanlations. Like, it, it is one of my like long lasting great loves in terms of fandoms. Like, I still like will look at fan art and be really like, aww. <laughs> so when's somebody gonna let you play in that universe no i'm not i i don't i would never be able to write a naruto thing ever that is absolutely i will read anything other people write but that's not i'm not the person to write that book <laughs> <laughs> that one's just for you to to enjoy and and not and not participate in yes <laughs> there you go. i'll be on uh, archive of our own <laughs> <laughs> and here's some more a little bit more specific questions that might get you in trouble these these are the dangerous ones so they're fun mm-hmm. uh favorite star wars story knowing that we love all of them yes even phantom menace you know the duel of the fates song was awesome haters <laughs> it <What>? is <laughs> duel of the fates is amazing um oh favorite story i think this came up on twitter recently and it's ahsoka's like Ahsoka's life, I think, is such a wonderful story. Just we see her go from Padawan to a leader of the rebellion. And I'm so desperate to find out what happened afterwards. Like, I think that she is just one of the best evolution of a character that we've gotten to see through so many stories. And her relationship to Anakin is one because she she is his Padawan. And they have these like amazing highs and lows. Like I just, I just think it's some of the strongest relationship writing in Star Wars. And so, yeah, I think Ahsoka's through line through the Clone Wars and into Rebels is my answer. Favorite television show? Ever? Ever. God. Oh. Impossible question. Uh, you know, I'll give you three. How about that? Two. I get two. Okay. One, two, three, your choice. Okay. My fav- one of my favorite comedies is Scrubs. I could watch Scrubs a billion times. I've seen <laughs> it a billion times, and I could still watch it over and over and over again. Um, <sighs> dramas. I'm, like trying to think of like what drama. Like dramas are so much harder for me because I'll go in phases where like, of course, I loved Mad Men when it was on, but now the thought of watching Mad Men again, I'm like, ugh. 
feels like such a slog. Like, I much prefer, like, half-hour comedies when I'm just putting something on. Three times, um, I but think... I'll do it again. I love you, Don Draper. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Fleabag is one I want to revisit. I watched it last summer, and it, like, me in half. It was so good. Like, it was one of those, I don't know if you watch it, but it's one of those shows that, like, after the second season ended, I was like, I'm not going to survive this. I'm not going to survive what the show did to my heart. Um, and then Elementary. I freaking love Elementary. Another excellent choice. I'm halfway through Fleabag season one. I'm, this one I'm watching with my wife, so it goes much slower. I can't just binge it. Mm-hmm. I won't <laughs> say anything. Come in. You, you were supposed to save that for us. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we've all done the uh, lie to the person you're binging with. I'm like, no, I definitely didn't watch this episode. I, These, no, that, I definitely haven't seen this. <laughs> I would never cheat on you with a great TV series. That's crazy talk. Uh, favorite video game? I mean, it's hard because right now I'm very... I just finished Final Fantasy VII, the remake, which was incredible. Uh, but... And I know you're very Animal Crossing oriented. I Right now I'm very, very Animal Crossing oriented. I, I'm going to say... I think right now, on this day, on whatever day it is that we're recording this evening, uh, Spider-Man PS4. I think it was a perfect game. Spider-Man 2 on uh, PS2 used to be my favorite game. And then, of course, this one has overtaken it. And I hope and pray that Miles Morales on PS5, that's my whole That's all to look forward to in the world. I can't wait. It's going to be great. I have full confidence in the team. I'm actually pretty excited about the Avengers game, too. Yeah, I'm hoping that's going to be uh, amazing. It looks it looks really fun, and, and getting to see Kamala front and center, I'm pretty psyched about. Plus, I won't have to stand in line for that one. I've already got a PS4, PS5. We'll yep. see. It's going to be a hit. Right, we'll see what I have to do to get my hands on one of those. <laughs> uh, and then, what's a book-oriented show? Let's say three favorite-ish books. Oh, uh... Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe, which is so good and so beautifully written. And I cannot wait for the sequel, which is, I think Benjamin O'Leary Sines said he had finished like last week. I think he tweeted it. So hopefully that's coming soon. Um, the I'm cheating a little bit, but the Heroes of Olympus series, Rick Riordan, because it's so good. Just the whole series, not it, not one particular book in it. No, because Heroes of Olympus, what's so good about it is like every book is good, but it's the growth of the story across the five books, which is what makes it so great. Although the book three, book three cliffhanger still haunts me to this day, literal cliffhanger. And it's so mean. And then it's a way a year to find out what happened. I'll never let it go. Um, oh, so good. Then, oh, the Holly Black's Folk of the Air. The the Cruel Prince. I hate masses. I can't help it. All excellent choices. Well, I'm watching our time and it's flying by. And I've got to ask you about flying saucers, but I'm not going to. We're going to hold off on that for just a moment. I'm going to ask oh, you instead. Yeah about being a sensitivity reader um, because I know that that's a service that you provide and I talk with editors uh, on the show on a regular basis so esteemed audience gets to enjoy recommendations 
for a sensitivity reader, and I can't let the opportunity pass since I'm talking to one available for hire. Um, what uh, services do you provide? Why would someone come to you needing a sensitivity reader? And yeah, what, uh, what will they get from you? Uh, basically, I can read for uh, an in North Indian American um, first generation born perspective in a book. So if you have a character who is Indian American, um, I can give it a read and kind of give you notes on how that perspective is coming across. And um, I don't like to say specific books that I've worked on because as a sensitivity reader, you can never, they don't have to take your advice. You're just giving advice. So it's not like you are like, do this, and then they do it and it's fixed. It's you're like, you could do this, and then they think about it, and then the writer and the editor will decide whether or not it makes sense. Um, but it was just basically as a way to, because I also think that, like, I think the concept of diversity in Kidlet is a big one, and it's not necessarily just going to be fixed by all of us getting to tell our own stories, which we should be able to tell our own stories, but also by making sure that worlds aren't um, aren't just all one looking one way. So if your book is set in a high school, like it shouldn't just be one kind of kid who goes to that high school. Uh, and that takes some help from sensitivity readers, I think. So what are some examples of things that you've caught uh, in the past, you know, generic, we won't talk about anybody specific, but what are some common things maybe that you've come across that you, that readers should, or writers should be looking out for? So one thing for Indian characters, um, especially like North Indian uh, Hindu characters are, that names often matter. Uh, again, this is all with the caveat that it is not a one size fits all, that this is a very like general thing is that you can often tell where someone is from based on what their name is. Um, names have religious connotations, cultural connotations. And I find that's something that people don't necessarily realize. They also don't necessarily realize what it means to exist in this country when Asian people couldn't mass migrate until 1965 because that absolutely impacts what our communities look like and who got to come over and who had access to immigration to the United States. Uh, and so it's like historical and cultural things that may not even occur to the writer to think about when writing a character of Indian descent. Preeti Chippur, have you ever seen a flying saucer and do you believe in them? I have not, but I have no reason not to believe in them. Oh, I there's will so also accept like, ghosts right? if you've seen one of those. I think there's so little we know about the universe that there's no reason to not believe these things exist. Uh, that said, I have not, to my knowledge, seen any. But who knows? Maybe maybe they made me forget. I don't know. <laughs> eventually, I haven't seen either. Uh, but eventually, I'm going to see the ghost of an alien. That's going to be an amazing yep. night. <laughs> uh, and then my uh, last question, because I, I, I want to get us out of here. I know that you told me earlier you hadn't had dinner yet. And it's just cruel to keep you talking <laughs> uh, if you haven't had a chance to eat. So we'll, we'll end on this. I, my last question is always some variation of, if there was some bit of advice that someone could have given you toward the beginning of your career... Um, as many bits of advice as you like that would have made a significant uh, difference and would, might make things easier for the writers who are listening now, 
what would you go back and tell yourself? I think believe in your own abilities, which is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, and don't be afraid to ask for what you want, because I think that's also a very difficult thing to remember, especially when you're a woman or a person of color. Um, I think sometimes you are your own worst enemy, uh, like with the Spider-Man book where I was like, I can't write this book. Who am I to write this book? And I had to have a friend who was like, no, you can write this book. Say yes. Um, because I think sometimes we realize that often we have to be twice as good to get half as far. And it makes us anxious about our own abilities, but we should trust in them and don't be afraid to say yes. That is an excellent note to end on. I, I feel like we crushed it. Thank you so much for uh, for making the time to, to be here this evening and for uh, kind of geeking out with me. Of course. <laughs> for a bit. We have uh, where can an esteemed audience find you online, uh, stalk you on Twitter, all that good stuff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at runwithskizzers. That's run with S-K-I-Z-Z-E-R-S um, and on my website preethechipper.com uh, I'm also over on sci-fi.com a lot or at Daisy Geek Girls um, but mostly Twitter and sometimes fandom stuff on Tumblr both under Run With Skizzers uh, As always esteemed audience find me at middlegradeninja.com download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees read it for all the really nerdy Batman references that I put throughout uh, there are three chapters in the newest Banneker that in a row are called A Silent Guardian, A Watchful Protector, and A Dark Knight, but with an N rather than a K. Oh, we're having fun. So check <laughs> that out. Uh, and uh, God willing, I'm alive. I'll see you next week.